Good morning, friends. Oh, I got three friends in this morning. That's good, isn't it? We're going to uh, take our reading from the Bible now. This is from James chapter 1 and starting at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you have trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Thank you very much, Chris. If you've got your Bibles with you, make sure you turn with me to James chapter 1. Well, obviously, Bruce couldn't really be... All the way from Abu Dhabi. Bruce, over to you. I'm glad you brought me, probably. I'm, I'm glad you brought... I bet you are. Can we formally welcome Bruce all the way from Abu Dhabi? Chris, I don't know where you went, but make that four friends. <laughs> Good morning, Dorchester Community Church. <laughs> In case anyone has forgotten me, it doesn't sound like it, but if anybody has um, or doesn't know me, my name's Bruce, and I am, as you heard, a member of the church here in Dorchester, but living in Abu Dhabi. Um, you might have seen some of those broadcasts, I don't know. Some of you will remember that each time I have the privilege of speaking, uh, it results in me recognising yet another thing about myself that I need to work on. Uh, this is no, no different. Um, But I'm not going to be talking about myself. What I would like to start by doing is giving a big shout out to my friend Samuel, who you're soon going to get to know. Samuel's from Uganda. I'd like to say a shout out to my mum too, bizarrely. My mum's an atheist. First thing this morning, she phoned me and wished me luck as I preached today. So that feels pretty special. And also I'd like to thank Pam, who's not here. Pam and Alan let me use their home while I'm here, so I'm, I'm really grateful to them for making me feel like I'm, I'm home and I have a home. And it was so nice to walk into my home here today. So thank you. Um, thinking about Samuel. As I said, he's from, um, Abu Dhabi, from uh, Uganda, but I met him in Abu Dhabi. Uh, the pastor at the Grace Church, one of the churches there, he called me one day knowing I had a car and I had spare time. Um, asking for my help. Samuel had lost his wife. She disappeared. Um, his wife's called Caroline. Uh, she was crossing the border, um, and we just didn't know what happened to her. So um, Samuel and I met at his home. I drove him to McDonald's, where Caroline was supposed to be working, and uh, we talked to the management there. As, he, as I spent time with him, it became apparent that Caroline had been crossing the border um, and, uh, so, and got arrested there. So, so we drove to the police station there, and uh, that was where she was being hold, held on the border of uh, Dubai. I'd better explain a little bit about the UAE in case that's not clear. So the UAE is similar, United Arab Emirates is similar to the UK in that it's uh, a country composed of several or multiple kingdoms or emirates. There are seven of them in total. Um, everyone's heard of Dubai, I think, uh, and most of you probably heard of Abu Dhabi. Um, but there's also Sharjah, Arjman, Umm al Khawain, Fajira, and lastly Ras al Khaimah. And some of you might have heard of Ras al Khaimah because it's been in the news just recently as being considered one of only two places in the world that are actually too hot for a human being to live. <laughs> Thank goodness we live in Abu Dhabi where it's only 42 degrees today. Um, gradually, their story emerged as I spent time with Samuel. They'd entered the UAE in Dubai on a visit visa, and because of coronavirus, they were unable to travel to um, Abu Dhabi from Dubai. That was against the law now. They'd been smuggled across the border, 
uh, in the first instance, but Caroline had to go to Sharjah, a different emirate, for a medical to work in McDonald's. On her return, she used a borrowed ID and, at the border, and she was arrested. Her phone was taken, and she was incarcerated in Al Rakba police station, awaiting a court hearing. The police viewed the situation very, very black and white. She'd used somebody else's ID. She was guilty. She would see a judge who would convict her. She would spend three months in prison and then she would be deported with no possibility of legal representation as you'd expect here. Salmon and I repeatedly returned to the police station but he was not allowed to see her and in the three months she was in prison he only spoke to her twice on the telephone. He was treated like a third-class citizen, told to stand in the corner by the police when they were talking to me. I would have been allowed to see his wife, but he wasn't. And that's not because of anything that we might accept as normal. It was because I'm white and English, and he's black and Ugandan. Shocking as that seemed, it was true, and the reason I was asked to support Samuel is because I am white and English. I'd be treated as a near-to-equal by the Emiratis. James chapter 2, which we'll be coming to later, has said something more about that. Samuel and I made multiple trips to the police, and he made others with a chat, another chat from the church, and he was treated much the same way every single time, debased, ignored, and always at risk of being arrested himself, because he was also on a visa that would have meant he wasn't supposed to be there. You might say, given the circumstances, that they brought it upon themselves, and actually you'd be right. You might agree with the punishment or have sympathy for a different culture having different values. You might feel sad for Caroline and Samuel or for their two children in Uganda awaiting the opportunity to join them in Abu Dhabi, knowing nothing about what their parents were going through. You'd have good reason to be enraged by the blatant and consistent racism and discrimination. There's a whole range of things you might think. But consider this. If it was you in Samuel's shoes, would you question God? Would you be saying, why me? Why her? Why didn't God intervene after countless prayers? Samuel didn't. After three months in one of Abu Dhabi's most notorious prisons, Al-Wathba, Caroline was unceremoniously uh, deported back to Uganda. While I can't tell you Caroline's story, I would like you to hear about Samuel. He was knocked down day after day after day. We're inclined to respect people who get back up every time they're knocked down. It's the stuff heroes are made of, but Samuel's not a hero. He didn't get up every time he was knocked down. What he did was turn to God. He sought God's aid and trusted that despite the terrible pain he was experiencing, God allowed it, much like we saw when looking at Joseph recently. Not because he couldn't change it, but because he chose not to. God chose not to. Every day, knowing this, Samuel praised God for his wisdom. And then he got up with the strength and purpose he found in his relationship with God. For three months, all the way back to Uganda, where he was reunited with his children and Caroline, the children called Zoe and Grace. Samuel wasn't a hero. God was Samuel's hero. So at this point, I'd like to introduce you to a video from a children's band called Watoto. They're also from Uganda. If you don't know them, they come from an orphanage near Kampala, the capital. And the word Watoto means the children. They tour the world raising money for other children like themselves. You may not know them, but if you've been here a couple of years ago, you would have seen them. They played here at Dorset Community Church. And some of us were lucky enough to have some of the beautiful children and their carers come home and spend some time with us. It's an amazing experience. In any case, enjoy with Toto. Well, I don't think I need to be here now. I think Sarah's just covered everything I need to cover. (laughs) As I prepared to talk to you today, I was, and I am continually reminded of the patient endurance Samuel displayed and asked myself how I would have reacted Ask yourself that same question. How would you have responded to that treatment? James starts the passage here with an encouragement to be joyful, not just at a trial, but at all all sorts of trials, 
And why? Because it produces endurance. And one definition of this is endurance, continuing Christian commitment in the face of difficulty, born in a context of hostility, persecution, and the death of their Lord and his disciples, the endurance of Christians in the face of persecution and temptation underlies most of the New Testament. Then Matthew 10.22 says, You will be hated by everyone because of me. Well, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading that, I'm not thinking joy. Luckily, it then goes on to say, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Whew. So it's starting to look that, like endurance is all to do with what happens, well, later. While in the now, well, it's likely to be pretty grim. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for in the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In other words, the reward for persevering, the act of enduring something, will lead to reward. You know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Except, you don't, do you? Do you really know for sure? I know for myself that if the outcome of something I'm going through is in doubt, it can lead to uncertainty, fear and anxiety. I was blessed by loving parents and as I grew from a child, I rarely experienced these emotions, except a little later when I was expecting an exam or thinking of asking a young lady out. Uh, Mum, if you're listening, I'm, I'm just using artistic licence, uh, honest, or as in the competition that Roger put out a couple of weeks ago, I'm as honest as the day is long. But the mundane stuff pretty much passed me by. Illness, relationships, what the future might hold, etc. And the truth is, it was because I had little reason to be uncertain. Because I had parents who loved me and cared for me. Who protected and nurtured me from before I was conscious. And so I had no reason to worry about anything. My parents weren't perfect, but they tried to be. And any blip in the road where they got something wrong, well that soon faded as they made it right afterwards. Their track record was pretty good on the whole. Well, unless I fell playing and scraped a hole in my knee, well, that was never at all well received by my mum. While we're thinking about how lucky I was, spare a thought for those people who did not grow up in an environment like that. People who never knew the security I enjoyed. As I said, I was blessed. And so I never had to learn it was going to be all right. As a new Christian years later in life, I'd become very used to uncertainty and anxiety. And rather than enduring something, I'd go out of my way to avoid it. Only you can't avoid all the things that make you feel like you want to. Hearing about perseverance and endurance as a new Christian, as being things to be joyful about, well, that wasn't welcome. So I come to Romans 5, 3 to 4, which says, We also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope in our passage James goes on to explain we should let endurance have its perfect effect so that we will be perfect and complete not deficient in anything we aren't born believing in Jesus we don't have the example of a perfect father for a moment we're brought squalling into the world and so we can't just trust that everything will be okay it's something we must learn A teacher of scripture can tell you until you're blue in the face and the hope for the future. But I can't prove it to you. God, on the other hand, can. And our hope for the future can be perfected by learning to trust God, by putting it into practice. Each time you endure, whatever it is, make a conscious effort to place your trust in the Lord God and see what happens. What I saw in Samuel was despite huge affliction, He kept his faith and was lifted by it. And I wonder whether this is a part of the joy to be found, released from the trials of the world, with a perfect and complete trust in the Lord, which isn't deficient in anything. Okay, so perhaps it looks like I'm trying to put a positive spin on something that isn't all that positive. But consider this. Where would we be without endurance? For starters... There wouldn't be anybody living in Ras al-Khaimah. In fact, there wouldn't be anyone living anywhere in Abu Dhabi or anywhere else in the UAE where the sun falls on you like a hammer blow all day. And what about Elon Musk? 
testing the idea of endurance literally to destruction as he reaches for the stars with his starship program, basing his success upon how far he go, gets before he fails, then doing it all over again. Let's hope Richard Branson doesn't take that approach as he's flying up there today. But Elon Musk obviously listened to Thomas Edison, who famously said he didn't fail a thousand times to make a light bulb. He just found a thousand ways to make a, not to make a light bulb. Virgil stated a long time ago, come what may, all bad fortune is conquered by endurance. 150 years ago, the Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote, by perseverance, the snail will reach the ark. I don't know about the gardeners out there, but I'm not sure, sure you'd be too happy about that. But he also said, nothing reflects so much honour on a workman as a trial of his work and his endurance of it. So it is with God. It honours him when his saints preserve their integrity. Fifty years later or so, Victor Hugo said, Perseverance, secret of triumphs. And Winston Churchill was quoted as saying, Success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. It's the courage to continue that counts. Or we might say, it's the courage to endure that counts. What I'm trying to say is that endurance might have a negative connotation. But what about the positive Think back to your childhood again. If your parents were anything at all like mine, they had to endure quite a lot. I mentioned holes in my knees, but there was also the internecine warfare between me and my brother. Pack lunches every day, school runs, dinner parties, dinner every day, girlfriends and boyfriends, off and on friends, no friends. Teenage angst. Our parents endured all this and more, and speaking for myself, I took it completely for granted never knowing the lengths they had to go to or their patient endurance that they showed. The positive for me was that I trusted them and never called into question that trust. The trust. While we reflect on human and Christian endurance, we should also consider what God's endurance looks like. If you read the Bible, and that's a, that's a hint, um, you'll realise that quite quickly it's not a story about mankind's uh, steadfast commitment to God and his laws, starting the very first book called Genesis, or done, and all the way to the end, Revelation. It documents countless examples of people going against God's will and not being faithful to him at all. Adam and Eve started it, but they're not alone in the Bible's pages. You choose any iconic figure, Abraham, named after his fight with God in Genesis 32. Isaac did a rubbish job of the difficult command God gave him that Jacob should be the son to receive his birthright. And then Jacob, well, he was a paragon of virtue. He deceived his father. He deceived his father-in-law. And like Abraham, he was named for it, grasping the heel, which in Hebrew is taken to mean deceptive behaviour. Later on in the Bible, we read about Peter. At the other end, he denied Jesus three times in John 18. That's 13 to 27. In between, you can pretty much pitch, pick any book in the Bible and you'll see the same thing. We have a pretty long and outstanding reputation for being unfaithful to God. When you measure yourself against what it means to be a good Christian, in inverted commas, maybe you could lower the bar. You're all in really good company. Then contrast with that with what God says about endurance. If you read Psalm 118, verse 1, it says, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Romans 8, 38 to 39 follows that with, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow, is that some statement. Despite all our best and worst efforts, then and now, we can be sure that God's commitment to us will endure. Simply put, aside from being eternal, enduring, God's love for us, his commitment to us is eternal and enduring that's the gold standard right there 
to be godlike, to be more like him, the standard for endurance is eternal. And yeah, okay, we're not going to meet that, let's be honest. But he can, and he does. By emulating him, we literally are perfecting ourselves. And the reward isn't just to come, it's now. What Samuel found out, when we realise he will never let us down, when we try to endure and give him the chance to prove it, we will come to see for ourselves that we can hand our worries to him and be relieved of their burden. When I asked earlier whether you know that your labour is not in vain, how did you answer? You don't need to tell me, just think to yourself. Is it in vain if you've perfected yourself through enduring? If you've accomplished that, surely then the answer to that is a resounding no. It's not in vain. And if you can say that, even in the extremity of your suffering, whatever that suffering is, who could look at you and doubt it? God's endurance might be the gold standard, but it's not unfamiliar to us. Genesis says that God made us in his image in in chapter 1, verse 26. We have many characteristics that mirror that of God. And the Bible's pages make it clear it's not an accident. We can appreciate the perfect example of endurance that God demonstrates. And we just looked at an area where we're quite similar to God in that, where we naturally emulate God as parents. I've asked Tori to talk with me to illustrate this idea a little bit more. So thank you for agreeing to talk to me, Tori. I think it's really brave about the journey you and Glenn have shared as parents. Um, In all seriousness, everybody, I would suggest you have your tissues ready because... You are in for a roller coaster journey if you don't know it. So, Tori, would you mind telling us about the journey that you and Glyn have taken, starting around when you first had children? Um, so, we started our adoption journey in 2000. Um, we actually had two birth kids at the time, and we always thought that we might foster or adopt one day. Um, and at, at that stage, I felt that God had, uh, had been saying that then was the time that we should start um, the adoption process. Um, at the time, we went over to France because we felt that God had um, laid the, um, learning the French language on our hearts. And we still find that a bit strange because we thought at the time that we would go out and live in France, but we never actually have. Um, and during that time, I was feeling really strongly that it was right for us to start the adoption process, but Glyn was not so sure. And his testimony, if you ever hear it, is that God had to tell him 13 times that then was the right time. 13. Um, it would take too much time to go into detail, but the Lord clearly led us to inter-country adoption and placed Cambodia on our hearts. Little did we know that, that it was next to impossible to adopt from Cambodia at the time. All the way through, we reached roadblocks, but prayed and saw them miraculously moved. I also felt strongly that we would be adopting a child with a cleft palate and limb problems, and the first child that we were told about was a little girl of 18 months. Sorry, I'm going to start getting emotional. And she had cleft palate and limb deformity. Um, and I believed that was our child. We had to wait 10 months to have all the paperwork in order to adopt her. And I can remember lying on my bed, sobbing, thinking that our daughter was in an orphanage and it had a really bad reputation, that orphanage, on the other side of the world and not understanding why God didn't make way to travel sooner. I still don't know why we had to wait. I'm sure it was not good for her. But there were so many amazing meetings that while we were out in Cambodia adopting her at that time that might not have happened if we'd travelled sooner. We spent a month out there and we were able to bring her home. She joined our family on our 10th wedding anniversary, which was 19 years ago on Friday. So we just had her 19th anniversary, as we call it. <laughs> while we were in Cambodia, we actually met a brother and sister who were aged 7 and 9, and they were living in a different orphanage, and all the children in, her, in their orphanage um, had families who were trying to adopt them. But these two were thought to be too old. In fact, the boy was too, legally too old to be adopted, because Cambodia only allowed adoptions of children under the age of eight. So we decided to pray for them that they would get a family. And all I can say is you should be careful what you pray for. <laughs> Because God made it clear that we should put ourselves forward for, to be their family. And we got the approval in the UK to adopt them. 
um, about 18 months after bringing Ella home. But then disaster struck, and we were told there was no way we would be able to adopt them because of the boy's age. So we decided to get on the plane with our three kids, knowing that we'd been told we wouldn't be allowed to adopt them. Um, And we went to Cambodia in faith that the Lord would do something. Our pastor, actually, at the time, said, what will you do if, if you aren't able to adopt them? And I said, well, we'll probably just move out there and parent them out there, because we were so sure that it was in God's plan. Um, we got there and after a week or two and our adoption had actually been refused by the Cambodian authorities um, we were told that we could adopt the girl but not the boy um, and we didn't want to separate them because we believed they were their only living relatives we got our church praying and miraculously we were told the details of an advisor to the Cambodian Prime Minister the Prime Minister was the only person with the power to overrule the rejection of the adoption It took two months of us being out in Cambodia, and after much praying and fasting, the Prime Minister granted us the adoption, and we were able to bring Daniel and Bee home. Some of you will have definitely met Bee. Um, During those two months in Cambodia, Glyn was actually asked to interview for a job with a mission agency out there, and exactly one year after bringing Dan and Bee home, we moved to Cambodia as a family of seven. And then during the time that we were living in England before we moved out to Cambodia, Dan and B had told us that they had another brother and he was kind of sort of living in an orphanage and sort of living on the street. When we moved out to Cambodia, we were able to foster him and adopt him a little bit later. So now we had six kids. <laughs> that was Luke, and, and again, some of you have met Luke because he, he comes to church when he's able a few months after Luke joined the family, I was having a quiet time and I felt the Lord placed on my heart the idea of sorry, parenting a severely disabled child. Um, and at the time, it just it made no sense whatsoever. Um, we talked about it, but Glyn, the sensible one, said no, we already had six kids and we were struggling to settle in in a different culture, so enough was enough. But about two weeks later, we went to have a meal with some German, German missionary friends. The husband, Martin, was a very direct person. And when he arrived, he opened the door, and instead of welcoming us, he shouted to his wife, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Tori and Glyn can have Lena. It was the strangest greeting we ever had. I went to the kitchen to help Elizabeth prepare the food, and she told me about this little girl who was not being cared for by her family and was basically starving. And it looked like she had some form of disability as she couldn't sit at two and a half years old. Um, and they'd tried to get her into various children's centres and orphanages and no one would take her. I explained to Elizabeth that we already had six kids and had only been in Cambodia for four months, um, but that we would pray for this little girl. Again, be careful what you pray for. When I got home, I explained um, about Lena to Glenn, and he agreed that I'd done the right thing in saying no. That was a Sunday. On the Monday morning... Glyn went to work, and he was working with a Christian organisation, mission organisation, and they had devotions on a Monday morning. And the passage was James 1, um, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So... He came back at lunchtime because because hot countries have a long lunch hour. He'd come home and everyone had a rest at lunchtime. And he just he walked in the door and he said, "Ask God a silly question." And I didn't know what he meant. But after we'd at lunch with the kids, he explained to me that he'd been praying about Lena. And then in devotions, this verse was shared, and he felt it was the answer. And Lena came to us as a foster placement two days later. We had so many miracles that it sounds a bit like a fairy story and that we had a charmed life. But in that time, we had many struggles. Helping traumatised kids to settle can be really challenging. At one stage, Lena had a severe allergic reaction and she and I were medevaced out to Thailand where she was in intensive care for 10 days and in hospital for six weeks. And I was over there with, with her and Glyn was at home with the other six kids. And during that time... Um, they were driving back from church one day and they were caught in a flash flood um, and they were nearly washed away and our van blew up um, and Ella actually was nearly pulled away from Glynn in the tide and he saved her life. Um, we also witnessed lots of traumatic situations including violent deaths and I held a, a little baby as she was dying from starvation. 
We ended up leaving Cambodia after just four years, and I can say I was utterly broken as a person. I felt a failure and couldn't understand what God was up to. Being back in the UK wasn't easy. Our kids had lots of struggles, and Lena's health was failing. Then suddenly, in 2014, she died while in hospital in really difficult circumstances. At that time, I was so angry at God about the circumstances. I couldn't understand how he led us to these things, and then that we went through the traumatic situations, and and then we lost her. Um, And interesting, um, just soon after she died, or even while she was dying, I had one song going through my head, and it's the first song we sang today, At Your Name. And the Sunday morning after she died on a Saturday, and we actually made it to church on the Sunday morning, and the first song as we walked in was At Your Name, and we had it at Lena's funeral too. At times, God seemed so silent and distant, and all I could do was get through each day and hang on to what we'd been led through, and that that he'd led us through tough situations in the past, and we'd also seen many miracles. So God never promised it'd be easy. John 16, verse 33 says, I have said these things to you. But in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He does promise that he'll always be with us, even when he seems silent or a long way off. Isaiah 41, verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Goodness, Tori. That's so powerful. Ridiculous, it's not even me. <laughs> Tori, I'd really like to uh, thank you for your amazing story, so beautifully and humbly told. And uh, if you let me, I'd like to pray for you. Um, and, well, you're an outstanding example to all of us about what it means to be... Uh, a Christian follower of God. I won't come over there and do that, but uh, uh, yeah. Um, Lord, thank you so much for the example of Tori and Glenn, for what they've been through, the things they've done, for the, the wonderful example they give to their children, but also to each one of us here today. I, I really, well, I can't imagine that a single person here today isn't sitting there thinking, really hard about what it means to be a Christian thanking God also for people like Tori yeah thank you Lord I don't know what else to say Amen (laughs) one thing that really stands out to me Tori while you're talking one of the many things apart from that I should have bought tissues myself is um you didn't do any of it on your own. You turned to God, like Samuel, time after time after time, no matter how hard it was, no matter how joyful it was as well. You, you kept on turning to God. And I'd commented earlier about humanity being made in God's image. Well, I'm hoping everybody here is seeing, to, just like I am, that being a parent, loving God, and following God's plans and instructions for us really shows something of what it is to be godlike. I don't know how you feel about that, but I hope some of you here, or in fact I hope all of you here, can identify with that. God's enduring love. We're going to sing a song now. Um, it's um, You Never Let Go. Um, I kind of wish we'd had it the other way around, really, with your name, but there you go. I think the introduction that God chose with that was probably the right one. So please join me and the band as we sing and you never let go. That's a great song, isn't it? Um, Oh no, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storm. I think we recognise those words and what they mean to us. If you don't take anything from today's sermon, anything at all, take from it the secure knowledge that no matter what, he will never give up on you. Never let go of you. Amen. From verse 5, James moves on to talk about wisdom. I can't help feeling that he's setting a trap for the reader here. But if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God, 
In other words, hey, you know it all. You've done reading now. Reader beware. Pride comes before a fall. That's a phrase we'll see or use, but it's not human wisdom. It's God's wisdom from Proverbs 16, 18. Should we be asking God for his wisdom? I'm asking you. Yes! Yes, we should be asking God for his wisdom. A little bit about me here. When Roger asked me to speak today, which wasn't actually just, just now, um, I got muddled up. It's not my, it wasn't Roger's fault, it was my fault. Um, but I thought he was looking for a different passage. I was really excited about it. I got carried away. I felt really, really encouraged by the Lord. I knew exactly what I was going to talk about until I confirmed to Roger what I was going to talk about. Um, <laughs> when I realised what the passage was about, I wanted to say, oh, no. Well, the irony of what he wanted to talk about was just really extreme. Roger was typically sympathetic, however. Um, when I talked to him about it, I'd sum up his advice this way. Welcome to Christianity. Yeah. Endurance isn't one of my strong points. I don't mention this to have a pity party, but some of you all know that I've wrestled with depression for most of my life. Um, depression and endurance have a very complicated relationship. On the one hand, they're pretty much opposite ends of the spectrum, as far apart as east is from the west. While on the other, they're inextricably linked together. As you'll have guessed, I didn't drop everything and catch the red eye from Abu Dhabi last night. I'm here to see family. And on Tuesday, I met one of my children in London. I'd not seen her for a year, and unintentionally, I compartmentalised how much I was feeling about missing her. I separated my, my feelings behind a, a wall and successfully ignored them for a year. As we said goodbye, those walls came tumbling down, and so did I. You might agree with me in hindsight that those walls were pretty much built on sand. Waking Wednesday and returning to writing this message, well, my intellect had completely deserted me. What little of it I had in the first place. And try as I did, the words wouldn't just wouldn't come. Endure? I'd have happily just made a start. Is that ringing a bell for any of you guys? I guess you'll have noticed. God has a sense of humour. And so it was with a wry grin... I found the ability to break through those barriers that I was bumping through into through asking God to do it for me. I endured the pain of emotions I'd rather hide from, persevered and gained a tiny bit of wisdom and the ability to continue writing what it seemed he wanted me to write. And I think that's a part of what James was talking about here. We're going to come across things in our life which we're ill-equipped to handle. In my case, preaching about endurance and wisdom. Rather than a trap, I wonder whether James was trying to say that we won't get it right all the time, and when we look like failing, that's when we should really be turning to God. It's the wise thing to do. Uh, the wise amongst you would probably have already turned to God before you stumbled, but I'm not in that camp. Like I mentioned to start with, speaking about the Bible as a way of showing you what it means to practice what you preach, or need to. Proverbs tells us that wisdom comes from God in chapter 2, verse 6. And it's what allows us to discern the will of God, chapter 2, 10 to 19, or chapter 9, 1 to 6. That's pretty much what I was trying to do. I was trying to discern God's will for this message, much as anyone seeking to unpack God's word would do here at DCC. James tells us that if we ask, wisdom will be given us to a given to us generously without reprimand which echoes what Jesus said in Matthew 7 7 and what Sarah shared with us earlier ask and it will be given to you researching this commentators were highlighting how the use of the word generously here is almost unique in the bible uh, saying that it is a sense of being single-minded or undivided generosity the sense that this being that God gives us the wisdom generously signifying his undivided intent to give us what we need to please him. Reading that, my first thought was, well, that's a relief. I need to get me some more of that. Um, and I do. James goes on to say that we must ask in faith. And without doubt, we'll be like a wave tossed and blown about by the wind. Directionless. 
We have two parts of the same equation then. Through endurance, perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. By enduring and hoping, we can trust and have faith to, faith to ask without doubt. And if we ask for wisdom, it will be given. And the outworking of that will be knowing what God wishes from us. Earlier I highlighted how uncertainty and insecurity, not knowing, leads to anxiety and fear. We have the solution here. There doesn't need to be any anxiety, as the wisdom from God removes any doubt about the future or what we should be doing to please him. Just as uncertainty goes hand in glove with anxiety, faith and, work and trust work in counterpoint with each other, one derived from the other. I don't know about you, but I know which one I'd rather have. Is it any surprise that James finishes the passage without, with a warning? If you don't learn to be sincere in your faith, if you're double-minded, God won't give you anything. Well, not that he won't give you anything, he's a good God. He already gave us this beautiful world, the breath in our lungs. He gave us love and partnership, peanut butter and jelly, cold breakfast, pizza and marmite. You fill in the other things, up to you. But he won't, he won't give us the wisdom we need. And James says without that, you will be unstable in all ways. Reflecting on what Tori was just telling us about her 20-year journey adopting children, I wonder how much harder that would have been without the absolute certainty that it was the right thing to do and God's will for her and Glyn. God doesn't promise it will be easy, though. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, says Timothy. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 12. But the storms will be endurable. You know that because it's a promise from Jesus. Truly I tell you, that's a promise, that's what that means. Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. A hundred times as much in this present age. And in the age to come, eternal life. That's in Mark 10, 29 to 30. Recent news stories from all around the globe are highlighting the terrible impact of global warming. Building collapse in Florida, mudslides in Japan, heat domes in North America, firestorms in Cyprus and flooding in the UK. As I watched coverage of a mud torrent sweeping through a mountain town in Japan, I was powerfully struck by one simple thing. The difference between houses being swept past and those past which they were swept. It was simply the construction, the foundation that they were built on. Matthew seven twenty four to 27 gives us Jesus' words, that wisdom is like a firm foundation, gained by hearing him and acting on it. And Ezra 3.11 says much the same thing, only in the context of God's enduring forever love of his people. Or as the Blues Brothers sang about in Sweet Home Chicago, you, me, everybody, everybody. It's okay, I'm not going to start singing. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> Like Tori and Glynn, like Samuel, like me on Wednesday, in God we have a firm foundation. His wisdom, and we can weather any storm and endure as James exhorts us to do. We won't be swept away, or rather, we don't need to be. Or I could misquote Bob the Builder. Can we do it? Yes, we can! Yeah, I'm not going to start seeing that either. At the start of our passage today, James urges us to consider it nothing but joy. When we fall into all life storms, it's trials. And then explains to us how that makes sense. If you're a Christian, it's a simple route map. Signposting ingredients for eternal salvation and immediate support and encouragement through those trials. Hallelujah. But if you're not, or if you're not sure, and I may be talking to you people watching today, if you're not sure, think about what the Bible says. Okay, I'm not going to go into some deep theological argument, but the Bible is spelled B-I-B-L-E. Basic B-I, instructions, B before, L leaving, E, earth. We may live with much uncertainty, 
But one constant remains. No matter what we do or believe, we will be leaving earth at some point. There's no doubt about that. The Bible's route map, its instructions, give us a real, definable and concrete way to prepare for that without fear, which can also comfort those who we love and love us. Yeah, okay, I might have misled you a little bit. It is kind of a deep theological reality, because it's reality. But, wouldn't you like that security? Wouldn't we all like that security? What do you have to do for that? You just need to recognise you got some stuff wrong. You need to seek Jesus' forgiveness and learn to trust him. And you've got to have the courage to say so. At Dorchester Community Church, you will know we put it this way. There's something to A, admit. (laughs) We're not perfect and we mess up. There's something to B, believe. Jesus was punished for uh, for all that we do when he died on the cross. And there's something to C, commit. Commit yourself to God. Matthew 19 to 26 says... With God, all things are possible. Thank you. As we come to our time of prayer today, um, I was reflecting on a few different passages from James, the section we've looked at today, and also a little bit from, as a sneak preview from probably next week's session, uh, where James says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Um, I think as we've been reflecting on this week's passage about um, endurance, um, I looked at different translations that use different words for that same, same word. Uh, some say endurance, some perseverance, and some steadfastness. Um, and I was thinking about how the times I feel most disappointed in myself is when I failed to be steadfast. Um, and as Bruce was saying, the, the natural state of our human fallenness is not to be steadfast, um, from Adam and Eve onwards, um, we, we've failed to be steadfast. And we can't make ourselves steadfast. It's only God's steadfast love that can transform us by degrees to be more like himself. So let's pray with that in mind. Lord, we thank you for this time together on this Sunday morning. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers and that you promise that where we are gathered together whether in person or remotely, you are there. We thank you that you are the father of the heavenly lights. You sustain and uphold the universe. You keep the planets in motion, and yet you know the number of hairs on each of our heads. Every single day of our lives was written in your book before any one of them came to be. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you pour upon us each and every day. The big, dramatic blessings of exams passed, jobs secured, babies born, children adopted, milestone birthdays, and goals celebrated. And also the small, quiet blessings of kind words from a stranger at an opportune time, a good night's sleep, food in the fridge, running water, cups of tea, and morning birdsong. And for the hidden blessings, the accident prevented, the unwise move blocked, the loss that turns out to be a gain in the longer term. And most of all, we thank you for your best and most perfect gift of Jesus to us. Father God, there is very little about the world that has felt steadfast or unchanging in the last year or two. The things that we took for granted have been taken away or paused and freedoms curtailed. We found ourselves lacking the routines and structures that help keep our wandering hearts and minds on track. Perhaps we started off in an anxious state of compulsory isolation, but somehow we found ourselves drifting into a more comfortable apathy. Or perhaps we feel like the person in James's illustration, tossed about by the waves of the sea. Lord, renew our hearts and revive our tired land. Give us a new vision for this new time we find ourselves in. 
And we take courage from the knowledge that you are unchanging and always faithful to us. We encourage each other with the word of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. We remember all those known to us who are unwell or suffering in any way, and those who are enduring trials that seem unbearable. Lord, have mercy and give them strength. In the midst of our trials and sufferings, we hold firm to the promise of your steadfast love, and we know that your intentions towards us are only good all of the time. We round off our prayers with these words from Lamentations. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Thank you very much, Tabitha. Thoughtful way you led us in our prayers. What a theme today. Enduring tough times. And I guess if we're honest, when we would have seen that title, we could have each connected with that to a greater or lesser uh, degree. We don't know when those tough times are going to come, do we always? A few of you know, uh, I've had some tough times this week uh, in our own uh, family. It may well be as you've listened to Tori share of some of those tough times that her and Glyn have had to endure. Your heart has gone out or it's resonated with a painful patch that you have gone through. It may well be that something that Bruce has shared unpacking uh, the purpose of those trials and where they fit and what that can lead on to has touched you and you want to speak or, or, or uh, question uh, or ask questions about that. We would love to hear from you. Do please hang back if you're here this morning to have a chat either with Tori or, or with Bruce. Tough times, but God promises to be there in those tough times with us through it all. It's fantastic that word, isn't it, that Paul brought to that church at Philippi that reminds us with confidence that the one who started a good work in us will indeed carry it on to completion that's amidst the roller coaster ride that we might have. And a part of that in our Christian journey is going to be tough times.